Mr. Eddie. prayer for him. All right, children, be released at the children's church this morning. Now remember, next week will be Family Sunday. So we'll be trying to get back to a little bit more of the normal of our family Sunday next Sunday as well. We're going to need a bigger stairwell. Man, what a, uh, it's been a wild couple weeks around here. Um, as we have just been immersed with uh, prayer requests and needs and things going on. Uh, so this morning, I just express uh, my gratitude to uh, so many that have uh, done such a great job of taking care of my family as we have been recovering from, uh, I mean, it seems like almost for a year now, you all have been bringing us food, whether it be the baby and, and hospital time and surgery and another surgery and everything else, and I'm just uh, reminded of the sweetness of uh, Christian fellowship and a good church family and what that means for so many people. So I know uh, as of right now, you've not just done it for my family, but you've done it for so many uh, in the last six to eight months. It's just been a constant prayer request and constant uh, needs that have been uh, taken care of by you all. So uh, just really, really thanking the Lord uh, for our church, for those that make it up and for those that make it run. And uh, it really cannot pay a higher compliment and I think Paul in the New Testament really kind of lays this out when, he, when he's writing to the church. And he just says, I thank God every time I think of you. Uh, what a wonderful compliment that is to be doled out upon. When somebody thinks of you, they think of the Lord and how good he is. That is an amazing testimony. So I pray that we keep it up, that you not grow weary of doing good things, that you continue uh, to be a help uh, where you can and when you can, because we do have needs. And even in a church that's not very big like ours, um, they are just extensive. Somebody every day or once a week or every two weeks, somebody is getting uh, bad news and they need uh, help, love, care, and prayer. And you all are doing that so well. So I am just grateful to be on the receiving end of that and just to be able to thank you all uh, for doing those things. Um, what's it take to be a man after God's own heart? 
We're going to be looking at uh, David again this morning. And as I was reading this passage uh, this week, man, just really floored with the context of what's going on. We'll be in 2 Samuel chapter 7 uh, when we get there in just a couple minutes. But just really floored with this uh, context of what's going on in the life of King David. And we're going to read through it together and, and we'll get started here. But, you know, where have we been the last couple weeks? Well, we talked about David's road a couple weeks ago. We talked about the patterns and progressions of his life. I gave you a couple acronyms again. We'll see them in the next slide just to kind of put them fresh on your memory. But last week we talked about how God moves, right? God's moves. How does he move? And we were looking last week at the idea of he moves in favor. Like we're watching in David's life. But you don't get to see David's life without seeing God work even before he is king, even before he is a warrior, even before, before, before you see this just beauty that God is working there in favor. If you remember the story in Genesis, Noah finds favor with the Lord. It is a beautiful piece. He works in direction, right? Like now it would be the Holy Spirit's promptings. But in what we read last week when we were in 2 Samuel and we were working uh, into chapter 7 today, we see the idea that God works in direction. He works in prompting. He works in example, right? He's telling David, go fight. The next time around, he tells David, go around the backside and wait. When you hear the trees, when you hear it sound like there's, there's the rustling in the trees, follow what I'm doing. So he works in example. If you want to know what it looks like uh, to be like the Lord, look at examples of his work. I had hoped last week that we would read the Gospels differently. As you and I hear Jesus speak, as we watch him move uh, in the Gospels, I am hopeful that it will change how you and I think God speaks to us or how God moves in us and through us. Because you see it in the Old Testament even as well. And so we're watching God move. He moves in example. He moves in judgment. Remember the story? They load the ark up on the cart with the new ox and they're going to walk it in to where... Uh, David wants it to be. He's, he's kind of ashamed, but he's all excited that they're going to do something. And what happens when, that, when the, the, the cart rocks, the ark goes to tip, and Uzzah puts his hand on it, and God works in judgment. You and I don't get to do good things outside of the word of God. The reason why you're doing them doesn't nullify how God told you to do them. Be very, very careful because when, when we're in the context of trying to do things that look like they honor the Lord or on the surface they sound real good, you don't get to bypass God's word so that you can try to honor him in one of your ways. That is the picture of what's going on in this story, and it costs a man his life. And I've told you last week that a lot of people really struggle with this passage, like Uzzah was doing a good thing. Why would God kill him? Well, you don't get to nullify God's commands. To do a good thing. The means matters to the Lord. God works in his word. And finally he works in blessing. I love that we read through Luke 5 this morning. Luke 5 is the teaching of Jesus. He comes up to Simon's boat. And he says push me out a little bit. And he starts to teach. He starts to preach. And when he finishes that story, he looks at Simon and says, hey, go throw the nets over the boat. And they haul in such a catch that it almost sinks the boat. Right before that, Simon says, Lord, we fished all night. They ain't biting this morning. 
They're somewhere else. They're not around here. But he says, hey, you want us to do it, we'll do it. And I love that story because you see four of those things happen in just that story. There is favor. Why? Jesus is there. He looks at Simon and says, I want to use you. I need to use your boat. Push me out. I want to preach. There's a direction. He looks at Simon and says, push me out even farther. Let's fish. I love the idea that he's working in his word, what he's teaching in the boat. There's a command to go and cast. And then there's the blessing of a massive haul. So many fish that they could barely pull it in. And when they did, it looked like it was going to sink the boats. We see these patterns in Scripture constantly. I told you David's life would look like this. There's pears and there's fruit. There's potential, actual, experienced, replicating, and successful. That's the process of his life. While he's going through those processes, you and I are going to watch one of the most beautiful pieces of him being experienced and him replicating today as we read through this passage. Because what he does today blesses even the generations past him. I'll tell you something fascinating. What he does today in this passage blesses me and you. And I'll show you shortly. But in those processes, there's fruit. He's going to fail. He's going to have to repent. That's what we looked at last week. There's going to be unintended consequences that are going to go on in his life. He's going to have to make intentional changes. And then he's going to have to try again. And again, last week, we saw all of that process play out. Because what happens at the end of last week, they actually go back and do what God tells them. The Levites pick the ark up. And they walk it to where it needs to be. And every six steps, they have a sacrifice and a celebration. And doing what God has told them to do the right way lands in the blessing. So there's amazing things happening. But what's it look like to be a man after God's own heart? So we grab the big picture today. Acts chapter 13 says this. And when he had removed him, Saul, he raised up David to be their king. Of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart. A man after my heart. The concept of the wording just kind of ties me in just knots. Could be like pursuing God's heart. Could it be a man that looks like God's heart already? Could it be a mixture of both? It's just a beautiful thought. God says, I found a man after my own heart. Was David pursuing the heart of God? Was he pursuing being close to him? Absolutely. Did David's heart look like it had been plucked from, from God's heart? Did pieces of it look so godly that it looked like they were attached together? Yes, it did. This is a beautiful, beautiful thought. A man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offering, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. One of the pieces of that promise is going to be seen in 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is one of the greatest assessments of any man or woman in human history. The only one I can think of that is any better than this is when John says, or when Jesus says about John the Baptist, of all of those born of women, no one has been as good as John. What a ringing endorsement. David gets one too. I tell you the difference between John and, and David. David lives long enough to make some massive failures. And yet his testimony still looks like this. 
When we look at John's life, what do we get? We get one moment where his faith is wavering. I don't know why I can't talk this morning. I'll get there tonight. I'm still warming up. We get one moment where John's faith is wavering. He's in prison. He's getting ready to die. But that's about all you get from his character that's not good. John was ferocious. He preached in hard times. He was calling everyone to repentance. He was the one that was declaring the way of the Lord, that the, the, the Lord is coming, get ready. That is John the Baptist. And we see one moment of, go ask Jesus, is he really the Messiah? Or do we need to look for another one? And the rest of that thought process would sound like this, because I'm sitting in prison and I'm getting ready to die, and I need to know if I've done all this for nothing. So John's disciples come to Jesus, they ask the question, Jesus responds by quoting scripture, so they go back to tell John that yes, I am the Messiah, the poor uh, are having the gospel preached to them, and he runs through this laundry list of the Old Testament that point right to the Messiah, and so Jesus sends them back with that, and as John's disciples leave, Jesus looks at the crowd and said, of all those born of women, no one is like John. I don't know what the access is or what it looks like to have Jesus speak about you and I right now, but would it not be amazing to know that the Lord spoke about you and your life like he did about John or like he does about David? Would it not be amazing to think that even in the context of Job, where the enemy walks into the throne room of heaven and the enemy comes in and God asks him, what are you doing? And the enemy says, I'm just going around the earth checking out what's going on. And God says, have you seen my servant Job? Is it not an amazing thought that God is a proud and doting father? Man, something in me just wants to know that this one time in my life, my name was on his lips in the midst of really bad company. To say, look at the faithfulness. Look at what I'm doing in the life of, of that man. Look at what I'm doing in the life of his family. Look at what I'm doing in the life of this church. Look at what I'm doing in the life of this community. Would you not want your name whispered just one time? Just once. It's an amazing thought. I'm going to show you today some of the pieces of what it takes to look like that. Four of them we've already covered. and We've covered them in abundance. So we're going to go uh, real quick. Number one, what's it look like? Well, the word faithful has got to come up. Prior to today, we've already covered this story. David was faithful. In 1 Samuel 16, right, Samuel asks uh, Jesse, David's father, are all the sons here? No. I got one more. He's tending the flock, the youngest, the smallest. And Samuel says, well, we're not going any further until he gets here. He was faithful in tending the flock. Don't despise the day of small things. I've heard Dr. Falwell quote that over and over and over. Don't despise the day of small things. Do them well. Be faithful to where you're called to be. Teaching one, teaching five, teaching a thousand. Loving one, loving five, loving a thousand. Be faithful where you're at and what you're called to do. Be faithful in the small things and that will set you up for the rest of your life. Be experienced and we both know you can be Experienced in good things or you can be experienced in bad things. David gained experience. Faithful, good, 
repeated experience of what happens in 1 Samuel 17, right? What's going on in that passage? Well, uh, Goliath is mocking God and mocking the nation of Israel. And the little shepherd boy that was last in line, the one that was to be anointed king, rolls up and he's not having any more of it. So what's he say to the king? King Saul at the time. And when there came a lion or a bear, I caught him by his beard and I killed him. This faithful shepherd is now out front protecting, leading, doing the things he needs to do repeatedly. Why? Because the next step up in his life is going to be facing the giant. He doesn't go in there without having any experience. You have to be faithful. You have to do it on repeat. And in that experience, you will find yourself in the middle of amazing things. So in 1 Samuel 17, what happens? He's caught the lion. He's caught the bear by the beard, and he killed him. What a wild young man this dude is, right? How about a little bit further? What else have we seen? Well, 1 Samuel 17, we see that he's brave. He's got faithful, experienced, and brave. What happens in 1 Samuel 17? He is standing in front of Goliath, right? First, he starts off with King Saul, and he says, Don't let anybody's heart, don't let these men's heart fail. For this guy, and then standing in front of Goliath, he says, You come at me with sword and shield, I come at you in the name of the Lord. And what did he have? A sling and five smooth stones. I heard it once said that Goliath had four brothers. That's what the other four stones were for. But he packed a little extra just in case. Who knows? But the faith was there. This little man steps in. He is brave as can be. He pours steel in the spine of all of those around him. What did we see last week? We see him be repentant. 1 Chronicles chapter 15 is the mirrored uh, uh, passage that we went through uh, last week in 1 Chronicles. It says, because you did not carry it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us. They didn't carry it. What did they do? They put it on a cart. Because we did not seek him according to what? The rule. We didn't seek him according to what? The way that he says he will bless. We didn't seek him that way. We did it our own way. We ended up in trouble. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves. And guess what they did? They did it right. They did it right. Lord, we're sorry. Instead of staying mad at God, instead of being frustrated... Uh, for longer than they needed to be, what happens is they say, Lord, you were right, we were wrong, we are sorry, we'll do it the right way. If you want to be someone that the Lord speaks about, if you want to be someone with a testimony like John's, like David's, like Job's, you're going to need to be repentant. There are going to come times in your life when you have to look at God and say, you're right, I am wrong, turn me around, help me. Lead me out of temptation. Give me the will to do what you want me to do. Give me the desire to do what you want me to do. Because God, you know it ain't in me by myself. That is repentance. I can't wait until we really get to look at what it looks like to be repentant. But after David fails, Psalm 51 is what it looks like to have a heart broken by the fact that you've dishonored God. Psalm 51 is what it looks like to be really repentant over the things that have caused division between you and your Lord and between you and those that are around you. So what's it take? We'll finish today in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to read through it. We're going to work quick. There's nothing real deep about today. I just want to show you some characteristics 
of what's going on in this passage, and one of really uh, the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture. Um, it reminds me of the interactions. When you get into the prophets, you get a lot of interactions that are hard, calls to repentance, things that are wrong, judgment that's coming. When we read this passage, we see God showing up and just pouring out blessing on top of blessing. You see it some in Moses. You see it some in the interaction between God and the Israelites as you get into the first couple books. You see it a lot with the interaction between Jesus and his disciples. You see it in Job at the end of Job, right, when God shows up and starts asking Job questions. That one is a little harder than this one, but it's still God being very tender with somebody that is really hurting. I love this passage, so let's get in it. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the Lord dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Verses 1 through 3. What are you and I going to see when it comes time for you and I to have a testimony that is proper before the Lord, there's going to have to be some activity. David wants to honor God. In the hard times in life, he does it by the way that he restrains himself in battle, the way he restrains himself from taking revenge, the way he restrains himself in jumping forward of God's plan. Remember all of those stories, we've read them together. He could have taken the kingdom, but instead of raising his hand and pushing the plan himself, he waited. In that, he honors God. Now what's going on? Now there's peace. Now he's sitting in a house of cedar. He's sitting in his palace and he's thinking, man, I've got all of this and God still has nothing. Sorry, you can't even say that and make it sound right. I've got a house and the Lord's ark doesn't, you know. I'm sitting here in this nice place and God, man, I want to honor him. I want to build him something. I want to make him a place. If you want the testimony of a John, of a David, if you want to be a person, a man or woman after God's own heart, you're going to have to understand that there's going to be some activity. Something in you is going to want to stir passionately to honor and bless the name of the Lord. You're already His temple. Right, Christian? That moment of salvation, man, the Holy Spirit comes in and indwells you. You are already the temple of God. So Nathan looks at him and says, go ahead, do all that you want to do. Do what's in your heart because the Lord is with you. I find this fascinating because God gives him one night. Because if he gives David any more time in that, there's going to be foundations being poured and stuff's going to be going up. Like this guy is ready to honor the Lord. Look at verse 4. But the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep that you should be prince. 
over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Think about that. David says, I want to build you something, and God says, I'm going to make you a house. Look at verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up offspring after you and you shall come. They shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, iniquity I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul whom I put away from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision Nathan spoke to David David says one thing I want to build God a house and the next 13 verses are the Lord pouring out blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Just a complete spectacle. He says, man, I pulled you off the shepherd's field. I made you prince of my people. And I love this idea. And I, I, trying to read it and just trying to comprehend what's going on here. I love the idea. God says, David, I've never asked for a house. All the people that have come before you that have been in charge, I've never asked for anything. You want to build me something? Let me show you what I'm going to do for you. Let me show you how I'm going to take care of you. Like you can read that and think there's chastisement there. I think the Lord, almost like when Jesus would be astonished by someone's faith. And he would say, this kind of faith I've not seen even in Israel. I think it's one of those moments. I think God speaks to Nathan and is just honored at the idea that somebody finally said, I'm living in a house and God's living in a tent. This feels backwards. And he looks at Nathan and just says, I want to do something to honor God. I want to build him a structure. Just where people will know there he is. There is his place. I think the Lord is honored in the idea of just David wanting to honor him. And in that, he just starts pouring out blessing, blessing, blessing. I took you from this place. I made you this. I'm going to establish you. How about this one? Listen to me very carefully, parents. How about this one? I'm going to love your children. I'm not going to remove from them when they fail. I'm not going to remove from them the steadfast love that I removed from Saul. You say honoring, the, honoring God can leverage things? Absolutely. Can leverage things like that. Where that blessing just cascades down by what you teach them, but not only that, but how the Lord is interacting. And I told you before, I would tell you, you and I are blessed by this passage. How in the world is Solomon's... I done flipped my page. 
How in the world is Solomon's throne still established? He's not talking about Solomon. Look at it. Your throne shall be established forever. What descendant established that throne? Jesus. The promise here is too big for you and I to comprehend. It's too amazing to even dwell in. David whispers one thing to the prophet and all of a sudden God looks at him and says, I'm going to establish your throne forever. From your lineage is going to come Messiah and on his shoulders, like the song we sang before, the victor's crown. He's overcome the world. I love the idea. He says, you know what? Your son's going to mess up. I'm going to discipline him. I'm not going to take my love from him, but your throne will be established forever. Solomon's throne was not established forever. Jesus's is. It's an amazing promise you and I are seeing right now. Starting with the idea of just wanting to actively love and honor God. You're going to build me a house that I even ask, I'm going to build you something special. Wait till you see what I do. The Lord pours out just an abundance of himself on a faithful king. Look at verse 18 with me. I'm going to finish with the attributes of what it takes in the next 10 verses, 11 verses. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, Lord, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? Look at verse 18. What are you going to need if you want to have a, a character and a testimony like David's, like Job's, like John's? You're going to need to be submissive. You're going to need to let go. David has a good plan. He wants to honor God. But he learned his lesson from the ark that you don't want to honor God by violating the word of God. You can't do both those things. And so instead of fighting, instead of being frustrated, the next verse says he comes in and he sits. Yeah, Lord, I'm listening. This sounds like a conversation I need to be in. I'll do what you want. Just tell me. You can't do that if you're moving, and we can't do that when our mouth is running. I love us. That's really geared toward me. King David went in, and he sat before the Lord, and he just said, who am I? Had this conversation downstairs in Sunday school, too. Not knowing this passage was coming up, but that question, when's the last time you asked yourself that question? Who am I? Right? There's a whole song written about it, but who are we? Who are you? Who am I that the Lord loves us? That he has given you access and revelation to the word of God. That he has drawn you into a relationship with him. That he has loved you enough to put you in this place at this time with a mission and a purpose on your heart and on your life. Verse 18, you're not only going to be submissive, but this runs hands in hand with it. You're going to have to be humble. Who am I? Keep that mentality. Set yourself in a humble, submissive position where what you are worried about and what you are thinking about constantly is, God, why are you so good to me? You will protect your heart from so many things if you and I will just lean into that posture. Why do you want to protect me so good, Lord? Why do you want to love me so good? Why do you take care of me? Why have you allowed these things into my life that are blessings when I have done so many things that should have cursed it all, not just piece of, pieces of it, I should have cursed every bit of it. And yet you continue to come in and touch and draw close. Who am I? 
keep that posture. I promise you, one day when you see him, it's going to be the only thing you can think about. Just to be in that kind of relationship with the God of the universe. Look at verse 19. And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. Verse 20. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that you have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem, to be his people, making himself a name, and doing for them great and awesome things, by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods." And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever, O Lord. Become, oh, and you, O Lord, became their God. Verse 25. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house. And do as you have spoken. Verse 26. And your name will be magnified forever, saying the Lord of hosts is God of Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. The next piece you and I have to understand is there's going to be intimacy with that kind of testimony. This is an, these seven verses are absolutely just unbelievably intimate. Look at some of the words. You know your servant. To make your servant know it. You have made this revelation known to your servant. God wants not only to rule over you. He doesn't want to just be in charge. He wants to know you. He's made himself known to you. This is an amazing piece of this puzzle. Like I want even the idea of knowing God ought to blow your mind. This this entity, this person that cannot be quantified in any way. He is outside of everything you and I can dream up, and yet he has made himself by revelation alone knowable to you and I. David had tapped into that. Lord you're saying these things. You want me to know certain things about you. You know me already, but you are making this revelation known so that you and I may be closer. There is an intimacy to those that have this kind of testimony. God wants to know, I shouldn't even say that. God wants you to know him. He already knows you. And in Christ, when your theology takes hold, you kind of go out of the idea that that should be terrifying and into the idea that that's a real encouragement. Because not only does he know you, he loves you. So when he sees those secret places, when he sees the things that you've done, he knows all of that stuff. So hiding it is silly, right? Which brings us back into the repentant word. You might as well just repent and run the other direction. Say you're sorry. Tell God he was right. There's an intimacy here. This is a mountaintop experience. This intimacy means even more when you're in the valley. 
to know that God is there, to know that you have access to Him, to know that He wants you to access Him are amazing truths in the Christian Scriptures. Look at verse uh, 22. What are you going to see? You're going to see a worshiping demeanor. Therefore, you are great. There is none like you. To know Him is to worship Him. To know Him is to worship Him. How about verse 26? And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. He is thankful. David is thankful. And we wrap up this morning with the last couple verses, 27. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found the courage not to say or ask for anything else. That's not there. Therefore, your servant is now just humbled and in the corner, and I'll just be sitting here waiting to die. That's not there. What does he find courage to do? He finds courage, he finds courage to ask even more. I once heard a story about Napoleon and a fella come in and his daughter was getting married and so he asked Napoleon for just a huge gift for his daughter's wedding in the presence of a couple other people, whatever else was going on. And it was so big, it was so extravagant that everybody else was kind of taken aback. It said that Napoleon granted that request and when the guy left, the other people asked, why in the world would you give something so extravagant? And he says, he honored me with the size of the ask. That is a powerful idea. He honored me with the size of the ask. When's the last time you honored God with the size of one of your prayer requests? May have been a while for some of us. Sometimes it gets hard to do when your fridge is full and your bank account's good. Look at 29, 27 to 29 made this revelation to your servant saying, I will build you a house, therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. Look at the tying in. King David's throne is not in Israel today. But Jesus Christ sits on the throne. God answers David's prayer in a fascinating way, something he couldn't have even dreamed of. For you, O Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. One final piece, and I added this this morning after I really kind of wrapped up what I wanted to do today. One final piece is this. This kind of testimony is going to lead to some tenacious moments. One of my favorite breeds of dog is a pit bull. It has, it has been since I was younger. And what do I remember most about that breed? Tenacity. A loyal following. Strong, relentless. Don't wrestle with one. Don't try to grab its toy. It's going to fight you like crazy. Don't try to outswim them. They can swim. I mean, it's, it's a tenacious beast. And I've always loved it. Because that kind of not quit, not the biggest dog, but man, get it going and watch what it does. For those that's ever owned one, 
you know what I'm talking about. There's tenacity in a Christian that knows the Lord. They ask hard things. They do hard things. They lean into the Word of God and they hang on when the world says you're crazy. Don't do that. That doesn't make any sense. A tenacious Christian bites in and hangs on. Therefore, your servant has found courage. We need to find courage. If you get to know God, you will worship Him, you will be thankful, you will be all those things, and there will be steel poured into your spine. There will be courage about the rest of your life. A man after God's own heart, a person after God's own heart, what's going to happen? You're going to be faithful. You're going to get good experience. It's going to be moments of bravery. You're going to have to step out in front and lead. You're going to repent when it's needed. You're going to be close to the Lord. That's how you stay close to Him. If sin separates, if it causes division between us and Him, then repentance is what repairs that. God, I'm sorry, you were right. Help me not to do it again. You're going to be active. You're going to find ways to want to honor Him, to love Him, to lift His name up. You're going to be submissive when His ways and your ways don't match. You're going to be humble. Christian humility makes you so much stronger than worldly self-righteousness or worldly self-esteem. Christian humility makes you unstoppable. There's intimacy there. If you want this kind of testimony, you're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to turn off the TV. You're going to have to turn off your phone. You're going to have to slide it to the side. You're going to have to set aside time. It's a relationship with a real person. You and I need to remember that. We need to be thankful. And God help us men especially, you need to be tenacious. You need to draw lines in the sand and give no quarter or no inch to anything that would rob you of God's presence, God's blessing, God's power, God's authority. You and I declare war on things that would separate us from the God of heaven. Even things that aren't necessarily wrong. Paul said he laid aside every weight, not only the sin, but the weights that were dragging him down. Why? Because there's a race to be run, and you and I need to be full blast until we meet him. I was on the phone with Paul yesterday just laughing about the idea of how hard things are right now. This is boot camp. This is boot camp. You'll get to party and enjoy and celebrate and explore the universe in the next life. Right now it's time to work. As they come today, I just want you to understand as they get ready to play this idea that there is an, there's an opportunity here to have a testimony like that of David's, like that of John's, like that of Job's. Love the end of Job. God says, Job, you're going to have to pray for your friends in order for me to forgive them. They've been so wrong for so long. You're going to have to intervene. Is that not an amazing idea? Job is the one that has lost everything. He is the one that has been sick. He's the one that's been suffering. He's the one even asking hard questions. And at the end of that book, God says he hadn't sinned. Man, I just think the Lord is so good to us because he understands how frail we are and how broken we are. If you want testimonies like that, you've got to live a life that has pieces of those things in it. Are you faithful? Are you gaining good experience? Are you doing the righteous thing over and over and over? Have you had opportunities to be brave and done it? 
Have you repented when you've sinned? Have you repented against those that you've sinned against? Have you repented against God? If you don't know what it looks like, turn to Psalm 51 and read David's heart when he repents. And he says, Lord, against you and you alone have I sinned. Return to me the joy of your salvation. It's a fascinating thing to see that kind of heart when it happens. Are you active? Do you even care? When you wake up in the morning, you got 24 hours. Do you care to put any of it into God's service, into God's glory? Are you submissive when His will and yours don't jive? Are you humble? Pride is poison. Pride is Satan's fall. Every other sin comes out of pride. Get humble. Get thankful. Stay there. Be intimate with God. It's as a broken and contrite spirit the Lord will not despise. He will not kick out. Be humble. Be thankful. Be broken. And God will be drawn in. Be thankful. And finally, be tenacious. Act like it matters. You understand the stuff you're doing on a daily basis? They do matter. You walk around wearing that Christian sign or wearing that cross, everything you do is being seen. It matters. Act like it. Be tenacious in it. Be borderline obnoxious at times in a loving way. But let them see hope. Let them see joy. Let them see peace. You're going to look different. Would you stand with me this morning? If you need something, you come.